Good morning. Yeah. I don't know. This is probably the worst thing that could happen to a congregation. It's just getting ready to come up here, and I realized my Apple Watch had died. <laughs> Preacher with no watch. Don't worry, there's right here. What? Took it. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Let me know when it's 1230, would you? Okay. Uh, That's great. Well, I am excited to talk about this topic today. Usually when I preach almost any sermon, I can find a way to make myself the bad example. And I actually have a couple of instances in what we're talking about today where I feel pretty good about my life. So if if I tell a story that doesn't besmirch my character, please forgive me. Um, and, and, and I didn't make it up. It's true if I, if I tell you something here, okay? But I want to know for all of us, how do you look at your world? What, what's the currency uh, that you look at your world through? Um, for instance, they say that some people are affiliation-oriented, and they see the word world through a lens of relationships, and they perceive relationships and they value relationships. And then there are other people who tend to be more transactional, And the currency of their life is things. And in their relationships with people, the the value of the relationship isn't necessarily the depth. It's the mutual uh, assistance we can find from somebody else. And so do do you operate on a transactional plane or a relational plane? And our passage of Scripture today does a beautiful thing, I think. When we look at the book of Hebrews today, we're going to see that um, the essence of life, the, the beauty of life, the things that make life really wonderful and really go are wrapped up in the relationships that we have. And the transactions that we have can be very important, but they can also be fading. And if we see the world through a transactional lens, one of the, one of the dangers in that is then we begin to value people based on what they give us. Oh, they're, a nice, they're nice people and they can babysit my family. Or oh, they're really nice people because they're beautiful and smart and popular, and if I hang on with him uh, or them, I'll somehow feel better about myself. Had had a friend of mine, John Westfall, that some of you know, all the way through high school at this big high school in San Diego, uh, he had come back as a missionary kid from Cameroon, Africa. And every day at this huge high school in San Diego, he was afraid to not be seen as somebody who had friends. So he would look for the coolest group of athletes or socias in the school. And at lunch, he'd take his tray over and stand by where they were standing and eating. And he was hoping he'd be cool by association. That's a kind of a transactional approach to life and and a cute one. So today I want to look at the book of Hebrews, the close of this book of Hebrews. uh, And as as it closes out, it offers probably one of the more wonderful, just basically spiritual guidelines for life. 16 verses long. I'm just going to look at the first three verses of Hebrews 13. And I think there's enough in here. I'd I'd like to explore this text for a month straight. Okay, But let's just look at Hebrews 13 verses 1 through 3. Keep on loving one another as brothers and sisters. Don't forget to show hospitality to strangers for By so doing, some people have shown hospitality to angels without even knowing it. Continue to remember those in prison as if you were together with them in prison and and those who are mistreated as if you yourself were suffering. 
Lord God, what a beautiful, beautiful call to relational living you give us in these words from the book of Hebrews. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our heart be beautiful in your sight today. And may we open our capacity to relationships, relationship building. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, this text talks about hospitality. I'd like to call it 360-degree hospitality because you notice there's several different groupings of people and relationship sets that are mentioned in this text. And it starts out with, keep loving each other as brothers and sisters. That, that's, a, that's an easy word to hear, isn't it? It's kind of, kind of encouraging. We're a part of a church community. We're brothers and sisters in the Lord. We love each other. That's a wonderful, wonderful reminder. But also, I think it's a calling to think about how we love one another as brothers and sisters in Christ. Um, first thing I'd say about that is we, we get in relationships with people and we begin getting to know them, and then we stop. And we don't go deep in the relationship, we go wide. And so I, people, I, I meet people who have the privilege of being in Christ as brothers and sisters. And, and I once had a short pastor at a church where this was true, everybody hung out with each other. But there was no depth of spiritual relationship with any of the people. So you couldn't tell the difference between a men's gathering at this church and a bunch of guys that go out and get ripped at the bar after work. And they, they, there, was no, there was no depth of interaction between the people. So first thing I'd say is to value the relationships that we have and the opportunities that we have to love one another as brothers and sisters is also an invitation to go deeper in our relationships. Don't be afraid to go deeper in the relationships with the brothers and sisters you meet here. Be free to ask questions. How's your spiritual life? How's the strain of raising a couple of kids hitting you? And and invite people into a deeper level of relationship and interaction and avoid relationships that are loving and kind because they're superficial. Superficial relationships are great. They don't cost you anything. You don't have to put anything into them. And it doesn't matter how they go. I, I like to build the kind of relationships where it, it makes a difference, where you really fall deeply in love with people and want to share life with them. And not to casualize relationships. You know, think of it as a family loving one another as brothers and sisters, is that we have a mutual role in shaping each other and calling out the very best in each other. And we have an opportunity to spur each other on in Jesus. And this is where stuff can be really, really fun. There's a, there's a person that I was fascinated, a broadcaster in the area here, and I wanted to meet them and take them out to lunch. And I did. We had a wonderful chat. And right toward, as the lunch was about halfway over, this, this young broadcaster looked at me and goes, you know, people told me you were a pastor, and I, and I really wanted to get with you. Um, I'm not super bold about my faith in Jesus, but I'm one of these Jesus people too. Can we meet together regularly and you just kind of challenge me to grow in my faith? I went, yes, as long as you will meet with me and challenge me to grow in my faith in Jesus. No one-way mentoring uh, on my side, but to spur each other on in Jesus. Do you see what I'm saying here is that love one another can be sappy, silly. To really love each other and go deep with each other can sometimes be a struggle. It can be a pain. We watch people go through difficult stuff and we have to bear it and feel it with us, with them. And that's, that's the right way to go. 
and then not to give up on strained relationships. To keep on loving each other and brother and sister is to hopefully not have any black sheep in your family or people that you're outsider to, and to keep coming back to relationships that are strained. I, I worked in a theological seminary um, uh, as, as a dean for about a year, year and a half, and during that time, I had a guy that worked with me, um, and he uses my name when he tells the story. I'm not going to use his, but we're friends again now. But we worked together, and it was a, it was a horrible situation. And I supervised this person, and we, we just weren't on the same page. I probably would have fired him, but I quit instead. And that just hung in the air for a while. Came here and started Sanctuary. And at a certain point in time, I started waking up in the morning thinking about this guy. And, I, and I'd imagine things like we're walking down the street. Do I put my, I got a, I got a cap on, do I, do I put my head down and walk past him? Or do I stop and say hi and open the door to a fixed relationship? I felt so convicted about that, I, I called him and asked him to come to lunch with me over here at Razi's. And we sat down and I said, buddy, you know there's tensions between us. We've talked about this. Other people know. Wouldn't it be beautiful if we could clear the air, love each other again as brothers and sisters, like we did brothers and before things went bad, and uh, cheer for each other everywhere we go? How, could, we, could we make that happen? And we both just kind of broke down at the table and uh, had this wonderful reconciliation. And that relationship had been hanging unresolved for about seven or eight years. That's how long it took to get to reconciliation. But loving one another as brothers and sisters is also willing to come back to the relationships that are broken, not do a la carte relationship shopping where we go from friend to friend to friend based on who pleased us that day or didn't. So I think just the opening text of this, love one another as brothers and sisters, is an invitation to internal hospitality and depth of relationship between us. Okay? Then secondly... There's this practice hospitality towards strangers because some people have done this entertaining angels unaware. And my, my little headline for this section in my sermon notes is kill the click. Kill the clicks. One of the worst things we suffer for in the, from in the Christian church is clicks where we have an inside language, we have inside relationships, we gravitate to eat toward each other. And somebody who's not here regularly, it's a lovely, wonderful person, needs connection with others, gets frozen out. And we do, the, we do the Christian Seattle freeze. We don't want to do that. We want to kill the clicks. And, you know, it's amazing when we practice hospitality to strangers what a powerful tool it is to bring people into a relationship with Jesus Christ. And hospitality, don't, don't think of hospitality being spoken here as you have to be, turn your house into a B&B or you have to serve three open meals per day for anybody who will show up. Hospitality is greeting and embracing people the way that Jesus was would. And it can happen in a store. Because I have an incredible story that um, a number of years ago, there was a Christian bookstore right across the street from here called Pilgrim's Way. It had the best Christian books and I left thousands of dollars there in commentaries and things like this that I picked up. But it, it was a great store. I went in to get a commentary shortly after leaving a doctor's office where I was told, you have diabetes and you have to go on insulin. And I thought, I just received a death sentence. And I was over here shopping books because, for me, 
there's two things to do when you're really bummed and stressed, eat or buy something. Um, both bad behaviors, by the way. I'm just confessing. I'm not asking you to join me. Um, okay. But I'm in the store, and the, the owner of the store, Norm, Norm Bags, looks at me and says, Randy, you just, you don't look right. I mean, you look really troubled. I took a couple of breaths, and I said, well, I just found out that I have diabetes, and I've got to be on a heavy dose of insulin, so I just received my death sentence. And there's this little old lady. She's probably somewhere between 75 and 80 in the store shopping books. Some of you have heard the story. And she heard what I was saying to Norm, and she stood off to the side. I bought my commentary, and as I started the door, this woman reached out her arm and touched me and said, could I, could I speak with you just for a second? I said, sure. Check this hospitality. And I, I, I don't know what she's got on her mind. I don't know what's going on. But I said, okay. And she goes, I just want you to know that I was a type 1 diabetic. I had diabetic since I was 6 years old. My daughter's been a diabetic since she's 6. She's over there in the store. She's in her 60s. I'm up to 80 or something like that. And, and, and she said, we had to do insulin back when it was pig insulin and there were all these complications for uh, diabetes treatment. She goes, and I have no problems with my sight, my physical body, anything else. And she put both hands on me like a blessing. And she just said, you are going to be just fine. You're going to be just fine and nothing's going to change for you big time. And she walked out the door, and I was stunned because this heaviness lifted off of me like a, like a spiritual healing. And I jumped outside the door of the place and looked for her, and she was gone. Still to this day, I'm not sure whether that was an angel or just a nice little old lady playing the role of an angel, but God really used her in a form of hospitality. I've only seen her once in my life. She's only seen me once in her life. Yet the blessing of that interaction was eternally timeless, okay? So we can practice hospitality at different layers. One's in a community setting like that, in a grocery line, looking at a clerk at Safeway and saying, whoa, you've got a line in here today. How do you do this? And just welcome them to acknowledge the work they do and welcome, welcome them to give you feedback. Again, um, sometimes these spring into very, very significant relationships. Um, another one is at work. To At work where our relationships are transactional and we're trying to get projects done and stuff like that, it's important to do. But we can be, as, as Christians that have learned to lo- are learning to love each other as brothers and sisters here, we can practice that hospitality in the office setting or the clinical setting or the classroom or wherever and woo people into a deeper relationship, woo people into opening up, and treat them as people, not as objects who are serving us at at a given time. And it's amazing what you can do to bring joy and relationship into a workplace. Um, In the neighborhood you live in, Nancy and I just sold a house after 34 years of living there and four months of waiting for that sucker to sell, let me tell you. Anyway, It's gone now, cash and bank. Um, But I lived in that neighborhood since 1984, right after Nancy and I were married. 
one time in about 1987, when I was traveling to all this stuff for NBC Sports and following the Seahawks around, my next door neighbor, Carl, came to Nancy and said to her, um, I haven't seen your husband for like a year and a half. Um, you're divorced? You're, you're going through a divorce? And I just went, ah, you know. And what it was is I'd been slamming in and out of my driveway. So I got all these neighbors around me, and I don't, I don't see any of them. I don't know any of them because I'm doing all this travel. And I finally got through to the idea that love your neighbor is hard to do if you don't know your neighbor. So I started wandering around my neighborhood and meeting the people across the street. Wonderful set of people. So right as those relationships were getting really deep, Nancy said, we're selling the house. Um, but the cool part is these people are calling me and they're going, when can we get together for lunch, swing down. And these relationships that I had probably ignored for 30 years, but the last four had really invested in, these people have become dear friends. Our neighborhoods was really, really cohesive. And you know what's really cool? We moved, but that relationship isn't going isn't gonna to flatten out and go away. And so we can practice hospitality in really, really small ways in just knowing our neighbors, talking on the street, and then who knows where it goes from there. Um, and I also think at church, it's important for us to look. When we're here as brothers and sisters who know sanctuary, kind of know our style of how we worship, how we gather, what we do, for people in that situation, um, we become tremendous resources and links. So we have a wonderful opportunity here at church to actually look for people that are newer among us and then say, tell me your story. What are you about? How can we get to know each other? You want to go to lunch after this? And we can't depend on church programs or even community groups and stuff to do that all the way. We have to have it in our heart that we want to meet new people and include new people and beware of us four and no more. Churches and church groups are notoriously clicky, us four and no more. I hear people say things like, well, we got the small group, and we're really just starting to get to know each other now and go deep and love each other, so we're going to close off the group and not let anybody else in. If you've ever said that, I forgive you, um, but I also feel like in the Christian body, there's always room for more. There's just, there's just no group that has to be a closed group because God wants us to be open to the world. And um, we're supposed to love those who are accused and incarcerated, was the last thing. This is an interesting journey for me to provide comfort and connection to people who are in distress. And this idea of dealing with prisoners has never really lit on me in a heavy way until my best friend, my best band at my wedding, committed a federal crime and is incarcerated in Lompoc, California for six years. Nancy and I had him living with us until we shipped him off to the penitentiary. And I love John. And John may need to, when he comes back in the community, live with Nancy and I to get restarted when he gets out of prison. And so that sensitized me. The, the people in prisons aren't all like insidiously creepy people. There are people incarcerated that are have made mistakes and they're sorry for them. And they want people like us to look them in the eye and say, you're lovable, I'll give you another chance. You're forgivable, you're restorable. And so that's another thing we can do is as we think about prisoners, you know someone who's in prison, keep in touch with them. Try to reach out. If, if uh, 
And when you see people suffering, to relate to people who are, who are suffering in any way, whether it's physical health, relationship problems, but just to be an advocate for people that are emotionally and otherwise oppressed. And then loving the mistreated. Okay, I'm going to go here, and then we're going to go to the Lord's table because we need his help. But when I think about that, being with people who are suffering, the immigrant thing has got to come to your mind. Now, I'm not taking any kind of a political stand on immigration. I don't know if we got too many or too few people across the border. I don't want to, I'm not a, I don't get political in the pulpit. I want to talk any of that. But I want to talk about the extreme value of each one of those beautiful people who's stuck between two lands. And uh, as Americans, as people, we, our hearts should be broken when we find out that held children are not being allowed to sleep through the night. Detained immigrant children are not given soap to wash their bodies with. And young women in these immigrant camps that are going through their monthly cycle are walking around day in and day out in soiled clothing. I gotta say, folks, those are people that are suffering. We need to identify with that. And I don't care what side of the border they go to, this way or that way, while they're here, Hospitality says you have to treat human beings like human beings. So I'd ask you to pray for those people that are stuck in between borders. Not a political prayer, not a build the wall, don't build the wall. Simply a prayer and a compassion for the people that are in that mess. People of different origins than us, different social strata. And, and also, with that, we need to make the statement that racism and the gospel of Jesus Christ have no relationship with each other. So, what I want to ask this morning, as we think about hospitality, and we think about operating on a relational plane, is to come to the Lord's table where there is no estrangement. The writer of Hebrews, when they invite us to this thing that we see in these verses, are describing what we're going to eternally live with in heaven. Lord, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And there's no estrangement in the kingdom. And one of the things when we do when we come here to take the Lord's Supper as Jonathan and I serve this morning is to take the Lord's Supper for yourself, but also as an act of radical hope for the world. That as you are included in Jesus and his grace, you're hoping that his grace through you is dragging other people in to that same space. So we can actually take the Lord's Supper this morning in hope for the world or in hope for a specific person or persons that you're concerned about today. Lord, we thank you that you've made a beautiful world. We thank you that though we've made a mess, you're cleaning it up. We thank you, Lord, that your goodness stretches beyond the horizons. We thank you that your grace is not just for us, but that you died for all, so everyone has an opportunity to be in relationship with you. And we, we pray, Lord, that through our practice of loving and hospitality, that we would draw others to yourself. Lord, help us to partake of your grace this morning boldly and on behalf 
of the world. Amen.